welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 260. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And here we are, Bill. We're back in the saddle yet again. Yeah, good to have you all here. Um, we should do some advertising of upcoming episodes. I think we're going to do a Bulls Geschista on yeah, Monday. Yes, Monday with, with uh, Adam uh, Borneman from, of uh, Georgia. And we're also in the process of trying to find a time to uh, be with Christine Sign as she promotes her new book. So those are all fun things coming up. Married to Tom Sign, right? Who wrote The yes. Mustard Seed Conspiracy, Conspiracy yeah. among other things. Yeah. I think I have those on my, one of those. No, that's actually a book. I read, that, I read that. That was very influ- influential. I had them spoke at my church in media a number of years ago. So Nice. Yeah. Well, uh, you said, during our last podcast that we talked By about. By the way, could, should we say, oh, like, just catch up on the news. Oh. <laughs> there is no collusion. No. You know what's interesting? Just about, other corruption. About that. <laughs> is there might be. Well, also, I think that, like, where Trump is pretty masterful, I think, is, like, on those sorts of things. We're saying, like, there's no collusion. So, like, he now, so he has laid the standard for the veracity of the report and the case, right? So right, now, right. So he gets out ahead of things in ways that shape the discussion. So it overshadows the obstruction. It kind of, it's sort of, you know, and then the story becomes about collusion. Right. And it overshadows. I mean, he's good at that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Even though there's still a lot of so many unanswered questions. Yeah. And I, you know, it's interesting. It seems like Barr gave him, by by re- releasing that letter, right? Mm-hmm. He gave him the first chance at the narrative, right? right. So and so it kind of that's what he was hired to do. And now weeks and weeks will go by, and we'll, the report will come out. But the narrative will be like people have it in their mind, right. sure. and that's what's going to be. Sure, you know, that's that's one can argue that's what was less than honorable about what Barr did and did not serve the country. But gosh, what a surprise there! Yeah, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. We're gonna. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the funny thing is that people, the same people that were, that were kind of saying that they were like, that Trump was was exonerated, were saying that Jesse, what's his face in Chicago? Oh, he's not exonerated. Yeah, yeah. It's just so funny. Like people. Uh, no, no, we don't. Uh, the rule of law is not as important as our tribal allegiance. That's no, for sure. never, never. That's yeah, that's uh, problematic. Very problematic. Yeah, yeah, but. Yeah, I've just I've not been. I you know I read the news on, yeah I read New York Times. I actually um, read some great articles in the New Yorker. There's a fascinating article about how Louisiana is shrinking geographically or yeah. population wise. Uh, geographically, it loses it loses a uh, two football field size of land every day. That to be four hundred yards. Yeah. Now, a matter of fact, over the last seventy years, they've lost the size of the state of Delaware. In Louisiana. What if we lost Delaware? What would we lose? A uh, lot of banks. Beaches, good beaches. Beaches. Yeah. Yeah, I don't spend much time. I used to spend more time in Delaware because I lived closer to it. Yeah, Delaware's There's got a great nice wine beaches. store in Wilmington. Yeah. The, the Delaware beaches are, are nice. 
right. Yeah. Rehoboth, 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 do you? Yeah. Do you remember? But you don't remember. I don't remember either because it's all on a, on a uh, rerun. But Canon Camera, and I've actually been on the road. They set up a roadblock oh, going nice. into Delaware. Uh, yeah, if you, go, if you go to Delaware by, um, oh, uh, you know, Kennett Square, there's a road down by, you know, near Longwood Gardens. There's a back way to go into nice. Delaware. And they set up a roadblock, and <laughs> they stopped people, and they, they had, like, a person dressed up like a, a Delaware State Trooper. And they said, I'm sorry, we can't let you in. Delaware is full right now. And then people would wait, and then they'd get, they'd get like, on the phone, okay, okay, someone left, you can come in. And people actually— It is a state that I could see filling up quite, quite easily. <laughs> I mean, it's not a, there's not a lot of— No. A lot of— um, There is actually a lot of open space in Delaware. It's true, but it is a small, small state. Small so. state. Yeah, anyway. So there we go. Uh, and anything else in the news that is uh, that is newsworthy? Uh, the Brexit thing continues to be a problem. Man. Do you know the irony of that is that people who want to get out of Brexit because to give like England, you know, Great Britain more autonomy now because they can't get a deal. Now you, the EU has more control over British right. Autonomy. That's right. That's right. I mean, there's certainly problems with the EU, but I, this Brexit thing, heavily funded by the Russians, by the way. The anti yeah, the Brexit campaign was was heavily funded by the Russians. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting because I read this piece in the Guardian that was saying how like the problem with this Brexit thing is that br the British government is not meant to function this way. It's not like our system where you can actually function divided government, like right. If you don't have your party support, the government can't function. Like, you, you don't, Theresa right. May, so it's like when you have these kind of, I mean, this thing is like the third, it just kills, it's, it's just like the fourth, you know, this just kills prime ministerships, you know? Like, yeah. And so it's a very tough thing for England, I would guess. Yeah, Theresa May, certainly a tough thing for her. So it's hard to govern right now. <laughs> anywhere, anywhere, <laughs> anywhere right. it's hard yeah. to govern. I mean, yeah, you know, Special Olympics. <laughs> I, I heard they were going to cut funding for Mother's Day next. <laughs> I mean, they're going after Special Olympics. Oh, yeah. I mean, my, who, who likes Mother's, Mother's Day? Not Day. very popular. No, no. Not very popular. Apple pie will soon be illegal. Apple pie gone. Apple pie gone, but there's no collusion, so I can do it. <laughs> I can do whatever I want because there's no collusion. Little Adam Schiff with his little pencil neck. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. No, I'm still glad. I'm glad Adam Schiff is on the wall. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, there yeah. we go. So, all right. Well, there we go. There's our uh, our, our our catch up on yeah, some of Yeah, our thoughts the... are with the people of Louisiana right yeah, now. <laughs> exactly. You're losing. Actually, though, did you see the uh, the flooding in Mozambique was just horrendous what happened in Mozambique. That that they, they Basically, the middle of the country almost became another ocean. Uh, the cyclone hit there. Uh, about the same time that that horrible storm hit in the middle, Midwest, there's going to be uh, a lot of farms, crops, animals. We're going to see that effect. That's going to certainly affect food prices and, and uh, yeah, among other things. So very serious stuff going on out there. Maybe we could give some of the land Louisiana lost over to Mozambique because you take it on ships. Yeah. Well, that's part of the problem because Actually, we control the Mississippi. Yeah. So the whole process of rebuilding land – that's 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 been stopped. That's part of the reason it's shrinking away. So a lot of problems out there. There are a lot of problems, and not too many people working on solutions. Solutions, yeah, serious problems out there. All right, well, all right. So uh, we did the podcast. Was it last week? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you actually afterwards said, "Boy, we could do about 
20 podcasts. We could do yeah, 20, 20 yeah. on this. So this uh, got me thinking, and I'm going to be like Dr. Charlesworth of uh, – uh, <laughs> did you ever have Charlesworth? No, no, I you're, never you're had it. He was there, though. Like, yeah, Charlesworth kind of saw himself as Indiana Jones. Oh, gosh. I heard that he is pretty, he was a legend in his own mind. Legend in his own mind. Matter of fact, I was in a class where he quoted himself. He goes, as Charlesworth, as Charlesworth says. That's all right. All. So go. I'm going to do as, as Bohr says. I'm going to quote, quote myself. Well, actually, this, uh, this, quote, this post I posted on Resident Exile, and, and uh, gosh, got a lot of attention. So thank you all for, for looking at it. But uh, – Kind of inspired by what we talked about, and then we had some more conversations. And of course, this uh, prodigal son is the lectionary reading this week. And um, I want to—well, I'll just read what I wrote. I posted this on Resident Exile on Wednesday, I think. Um, I am a prodigal. These first two are quotes from Henry Nouwen's wonderful book on the return of the prodigal. And we're also good. I'm sure we'll mention another wonderful book on the prodigal son, which I just ordered because of you. Oh yeah, the cross and the prodigal. By yeah, Ken Bailey, great book. Okay, so here we go. These first two quotes are from Henry Nouwen. I am the prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. And then second one, resentment and gratitude cannot coexist. Since resentment blocks the, per the perception and experience of life as a gift. My resentment tells me that I don't receive what I deserve. It always manifests itself in envy. And then here's where some of my thoughts inspired by all of this. What does Nowen give us in the above two quotes? A portrait of two sons and two different ways to nullify the grace of God. Realizing that this is really the parable of the two brothers is the first corrective. We can point out to the botched prodigal and thank God we are not like him. We can equally feel superior to the legalistic older brother who can represent what we hate about Catholics, progressives, fundamentalists, or whatever religious tribe we do not like at the present moment. The Dutch. <laughs> the Dutch, <laughs> who chooses law over gospel. But then we are as ignorant and lost as the siblings in the story. The parable is really about the extravagant love of a father who culturally humiliates himself to show mercy to both of his lost sons, who share the tragic flaw of having no idea who their father is. A crucified God destroys all religious pretensions, even the theologically correct ones. I like that. I'm a fan of that. Well, I guess for me, part of, part of it uh, is just, you know, in, in some levels, reflecting on – we've talked about this a, a lot in different ways, this kind of current climate, for lack of a better one, of demonizing others, of, of – I mean, I think humans speak, think in binary ways anyway. But this kind of oppositional way of doing theology, politics, and – uh, particularly the way it has affected uh, different Christian circles. So whether we talk about those who support Trump, those who are against Trump, whether we talk about what's going on in the Methodist um, uh, church right now, um, you know, just pick, pick a movement or pick an attempt to, to correct movements. Uh, you know, we, we engage a lot in the whole law of grace conversation. And it does seem to me that there um, – you know, anytime <laughs> you you form a corrective, okay, anytime something like that happens, there is a real possibility that you slip into one of those two roles. I mean, and, and probably religious people have a, have a greater tendency to slip into the role of the older brother. And even when we're criticizing people who we see as the older brother, we have dangerously crept into the territory of the older brother. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I, 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 I would agree with that. I concur. 
That's all you got. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Andrew Stravitz, Barry Stewart, Ben Crosby, Ben DeHart, Carol Clemens, Charlotte Donlin, David Norling, David Zoll, Ellis Brazil, Jennifer Spite, Jennifer Underwood, Jim Cress, Joel Wentz, John Schneider, Jonathan Butrin, Jordan Mossberger, Josh Redder, Kai Wittenpeg, Larry Rule, Liam O'Brien, Michael Butera, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Konauer, Sari Graham, Simone Garabedian, Stephen Rowe, and Jody Stevenson. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. I concur. <laughs> that's like I know. I think that that's true. I mean, I think that we we uh, yeah that that's the spirit of the older brother pointing out the older brother. Right, right. Because there's a sense where there's somehow that uh, either my position isn't being recognized or I'm in a superior position because I didn't do X, Y, or Z. And I, I do think that the uh, the insight from Carrie's uh, work, the idea of the father goes through. You know, cultural humiliation with both sons. I think that's a particularly important insight. His, you know, welcoming the son who had wasted his inheritance among Gentiles, as well as showing hospitality to his oldest son who, um, you know, purposely shames the father by not being part of the party. I think is something that that often we don't fully we don't fully realize. We see this kind of extravagant love of the father towards the prodigal, but we don't understand fully what the cost of that. Uh, uh, either the forgiveness of the son or the patience with the older brother. We don't. I think we don't fully grasp what what that costs the father. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's interesting because Aristotle says that to be prodigal is literally to waste or to spend one's substance, like you know, to spend your substance away. Yeah, and I think that in that case, the pro- the father is the prodigal one, right? Right. That he is giving of his substance. So the Kind of, I mean, one of the things that when you read the parable that it, it, when the son sort of says, you're dead to me, give me half my inheritance. And it's funny, my friend Christian Andrews, our mutual friend Christian, was telling a story where he was uh, in his youth outreach in, in Red Bank. He was telling the story to a group of kids, most of whom had never heard it. So what do you think the son did to the father? When he came, uh, the father to the son when he, when he came back, they killed him. <laughs> he killed him. Like, but you know, it's it, even in the beginning when so give me. Th- this is not a place where it's it's not exactly a cash economy. Like, no. so most of your assets probably would not be liquid. So you've got to like liquidate yeah, assets. You would hardly have any liquid. Yeah, right. Even yeah. if you're a person of some wealth, so you'd be in the town 
square, like you'd be, everybody would see you liquidating all your assets. Like, why the hell are you doing this? And you'd, well, because my idiot son told me he wants me dead and that's half my inheritance. Everybody's like, why won't you kill him? So, like, the public. Which, by the way, would have been culturally. Yeah, appropriate. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, would have been, <laughs> nobody would have blamed him. <laughs> Maybe now. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. You don't think uh, Don, uh, Eric and Don Jr. came close to that fate a couple times? <laughs> you know, but so, so that the, the shame and humiliation of the father is continual. It doesn't right. end when no. the son leaves. Like it's, it's forever. He's the one that was an idiot and, right. and was humiliated. And then, you know, when the son, and then he's humiliated by the older brother right. who right. won't Shows participate in the rec yeah. reconciliation. So, so twice he's humiliated by the sons. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it is interesting. You, you know, if, if this is one thing I think that, uh, is interesting to think about because we often judge parents on how their kids turn out, right? That's yeah. what, frequently. So, yeah. what, what does that say about God the Father? Uh, about us? Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, really? I mean, you, start, you, you think know. about that. I think that's what this that, that that what you just said there reiterates the idea of what um, you know what's going on in this parable and what actually you know what it says about the nature of, of dignity of God. I mean, in some ways, this is what the uh, substitutionary view of the atonement in a way Anselm articulates it really misses who God is. I mean, um, I, we certainly can understand why he wants to correct the ransom idea that you know, somehow God has to trick the devil and that giving the devil too much power in the ransom view of the atonement. But if the real problem with sin is that it offends uh, the dignity of God, you could say that, you know, the whole history of creation on one level is offending the dignity of God. Yeah, I think that yeah, it's interesting because there are some people that would read Anselm there. It's like the offense isn't so much against God, but against the realm. Like, so needing to sort of repair sin is, is sort of like, it, it's the feudal Lord being responsible for the, for, for, right. for the, for the justice of the realm. It's not like it's the whole order has been injured. Right. And, yeah. and so it's a sense of like, I mean, that, that, that they're, I think some of these people that would interpret Anselm, Anselm that way would argue that we that there's a certain way of reading him that over personalizes God. Or, 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 well, I or, think or, that's or, what the history of interpretation yeah. has done, particularly among you know, Protestant evangelical circles. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I think so. It's interesting here. I mean, in the story, you have you know, it, it's quite clear that that it, it seems to me that Jesus is trying to say that these sinners that he's fellowshipping with are like the younger brother right and the, and the pharisees here are, by not rejoicing are, are are in this role of sort of and jesus is is here you know the is seemingly the 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 father right, right. i mean he's the, and, and yeah it's interesting too because bart reads this passage and sees jesus as the prodigal son too like who goes off into the far country to get us you know to 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 find us in our lostness that we you know that that's his image of the in incarnation, the one, and it is interesting because the father does go out to meet right, he goes the out son, to meet. And, and that's the only place. It's interesting too because there, the the grace of the father is what produces repentance. Like there's not, he's not repentant before then. In fact, he's he's sorry. He's sorry. He's in that situation. He's, yeah, he re he's yeah. regretful. Yeah, he, he's he's, he, not, he's not repentant. He's it's regretful. Not, it's not contrition. What's the other one? Attrition. Yeah, is yeah. There something like that. So he, and he thinks like I'll just work as like a tradesman. I'll work as a blue collar trade, and I'll I'll kind of pay back or. Attempt to pay back my debt, and that would be better. I won't have to see my my uh, ass nine brother. I won't have to hang out with him, and yeah. I won't. You know, I'll just be like a worker. I won't have to live in the house, and 
I will. And so it's interesting that that. Yeah, he doesn't want to do the costly work of reconciliation. No. Or it, for him, maybe reconciliation is beyond his imagination. That's probably even more so. Yeah. And so it's, it's the father's sort of unconditional acceptance that, that, produ- that cha- produces the change in relationship to the son. It's not the son's kind of coming to himself. Uh, it's, you know, it's everybody, you know, when you're rehearsing your speech, you know, you're, you're kind of self-interested, right? Most right. of the time when we're rehearsing our speeches, you know, it's interesting too, because I think there's a literary key there too, because it's an allusion to the, you know, I've sinned against heaven and against you. It's, it's a paraphrase of the Pharaoh's prayer, as Pharaoh's to Moses, I've sinned against God. And, but right. there, the, fa- the Pharaoh is just self-interested. He just wants to... You mean against, not, yeah, Mo, or uh, Abraham. Or against God and against your God and against... What was, I forget what Pharaoh says, how he says it. Well, but, are you, you mean the Abraham when he's sleeping with Sarah? No, 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 no. I'm talking Pharaoh to Moses when oh. he wants when he wants um, Moses to relent with the plagues. Oh, right, And right, he kind right. of says, like, yeah, I've sinned right. against God of heaven. But so it's an allusion to Pharaoh there. And, and right. Pharaoh is self-seeking too. I mean, Pharaoh's not repentant there. Yeah. He just wants what he can get, you know, to alleviate the situation. You also mentioned uh, about Bailey talks about how many allusions to the Jacob narrative. Oh, yeah. I think he says there's 52. <laughs> so, he has a book called Jacob and the Prodigal. Yeah. And he finds 52 literary connections. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. The other thing that strikes me is that this is something the rabbi said. I mean, this parable could also be, you know, God and about God in Israel, in that um, the, the rabbi said the reason that uh, Solomon's temple was destroyed because the people were too disobedient to the law. Uh, the reason that uh, Herod's temple was destroyed is that they were too observant, and <clears throat> not that they, not, you know, in other words, they missed the meaning of it. And you know, you think there's a sense where obviously the the uh, prodigal doesn't try to live under Torah. Uh, the older son is convinced that he uh, in his self righteousness, and so there's a little bit of the sense where, if you would, the two ways to to be lost, <laughs> and and they both, you know, I mean, I think people like Aquinas and others would say that well, this, yeah, the 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 uh, Pharisee or that the Pharisee, but the older brother is in a more dangerous position because sins of the spirit are worse than sins of the flesh. Now, I'm sure the yeah the. Uh, uh, the, the prodigal son, actually, in his disregard, for his disdain for his father, I mean, that's that's a spiritual sin as well. So his his crimes were not just uh, living the viva loca, you know. It was uh, <laughs> viva loca. Uh, it was uh, it was that he, you know, basically murdered his father. But the 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 problem with when you think you're right and you're not, that gets a little bit around to sometimes the the danger of theological or political critique. If, if you still want to be a Christian, okay, if you don't want to be a Christian, then this really isn't an issue. But if you want to be a Christian, the danger when you put yourself is in the position of judging someone else. And I think this even is what's great. The greater danger is when there's someone who is screaming to be judged. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so yeah. because it's, it's, easy to, it's easy to feel uh, superior and self-righteous. And, and righteous. If you feel righteous, then... Uh, it's almost assuredly self-righteous. Now, I'm not saying there can't be righteous anger against injustice, but it is so hard for a human being to pull off a pure mode of righteous yeah, uh, yeah. justice. Because I mean, anger is, it's interesting because uh, there's this great book, uh, who's the author, I forget, it's was written several years ago by a guy at Harvard called The Vehement Passions. And basically, he's talking about like wrath, uh, you know, um, how wonder like he has all these things that are like 
he calls them monarchical and that they don't, they sort of take over. The passion takes over. It doesn't show what we're, we have this sort of downplaying the vehement passions where like the Hamlet, like, Oh, what? Yeah. To be or not to be the conflicted in herself. Like, so whereas he thinks in pre-modern literature, the, the, the vehement passions play a bigger role. And there are these cross-cultural things, the facial expressions and stuff are very similar across cultures. But, but yeah, anger is a vehement passion. It doesn't, it doesn't tend to like play well with other passions. Now, uh, Ricky Gervais has a new series on Netflix called Afterlife. And, uh, you know, it would be if he just, you know, his need to just slam Christian, slam religion every time he gets a chance is just, uh, overplayed. I mean, you know, when we see, when we see the unthinking fundamentalists, you know, be sarcastic about, you know, atheism and not be intellectually honest about him, you know, we write that person off. Well, Gervais does it with, uh, belief in God. So, yeah, you have to kind of take that out. He's he's more obnoxious other times about it than in the show, but it's overall a great show, a really interesting. It's a man grieving the loss of his wife, who was his best friend, and he he is um, doesn't really want to keep living. So there's this idea of how does he try to keep on? But it's uh, there's a scene where there's this guy, there's these people that are mugging people and hitting them with a hammer, and he doesn't he he doesn't he says, I'm gonna live however I want to, I'm gonna say whatever I want to, do whatever I want to, and when that stops working, I'm gonna kill myself. That's that's <laughs> a, so he takes the hammer off of uh off of the mugger, all right? You know, which is kind of uh I guess I should uh you know, spoiler alerts, but uh he walks by where his nephew, who he loves, his nephew is one of the reasons that he stays alive, because of his love for his nephew. And his, and he's his nephew has been being bullied. And uh, and there's this, you know the typical big bully in the playground. You know, think of your typical eight year old bully. You know, twice as big as everybody. <laughs> so, so he's already he's, he's hurt. He's hurt as a nephew. And Gervais is walking by while he is uh, he's seeing the kid bully him. And the bully, you know, the kid has called him Gervais names before. And uh, Gervais says, "Come over here." And so the bully comes over here. See this hammer? I know where you live. <laughs> and if you ever touch or hurt anybody again, I'm going to come to you in your sleep and beat you senseless with this hammer. <laughs> now, <laughs> you you know, so, yeah, you kind of laugh. It's almost like a, uh, you know, Will Ferrell kind of joke. But then the next scene is he's back in his office and his boss, who is his brother-in-law, gets a phone call and says, some adult has threatened, was threatening to kill children at the playground. And it's a wonderful trap because... You know, who doesn't want a bully to be humiliated? Right, right. You forget that an adult has just threatened a child to kill them in their sleep. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, so there's a sense where that's a great trap because I think so often when we are judgmental about things that are clearly wrong, okay, I mean, you know, like cutting funding, for instance, for Special Olympics, you don't have to spend a lot, you don't have to spend a lot of time thinking about that, okay? Or putting children in cages. You shouldn't have to spend, yeah. you shouldn't spend, have, was that wrong? I didn't know. Oh, from now on, I won't do that again. Yeah, exactly. George, exactly. George Who knew? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. George, yeah. Maybe George Costanza is actually that kind of thing was done went all the, on all the time in my old office. <laughs> right. Maybe George Costanza is actually running this, yeah. this country right now. But that that story, you know, because I, I got caught into it too. Oh, that little snotty boy. Go, yeah. Then you go, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, right. Somebody just threatened a child. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the danger of. Uh, I think that's the, the the danger exactly of anger of judgmental. And I, what I you know what I've seen is um, you know, um, I, what you would basically it's like that Star Trek episode where that 
that somehow superior being can only live off of anger. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he gets the Cleons and the and the Enterprise people in the same ship together, and they just, you know, just go at each other. Yeah. And I think that's a little bit what's going. On. That's that's the spirit of the older brother on steroids. Yeah, it's interesting too because both this both the older and younger brother. I mean, one is lost by keeping the rules, the other is lost by breaking the rules. But they're both they both seek to place themselves not in in the position of sonship but servitude so servant like so they want to do you know it, it, there's this great uh line from love constraints to obedience the william cowper him that uh to hear the law to see the law here to see the law by christ fulfilled to hear his parting voice changes a slave into a child and duty to choice and so here there's there's sort of they're rejecting sonship for the sort of they're they're, they're rejecting the covenant relationship for the contractual one Right, right. Because they think they can benefit somehow in the contract. Well, that's and that's like what we liked about the article. In other words, it turns grace into a principle. Principle. Yeah. I think we turn the gospel into a principle. Oh, absolutely. Anything can be kind of, kind of principleized. Principle. Because yeah, it's it's somehow it's it's good news. It's like all right, God, and and what's important about it is it's the good news. It's actually kind of always been there in one form or the other. Last night I, I've been doing a Bible study. At the Crossroads Church, and uh, I do this uh, understanding the cross, and how I do it is looking at the different theories throughout history, looking at the biblical basis, and how each of them have problems, and each of them kind of can, if you redo them, you know, they, each of them have something that appeals to us. And last night was Christus Exemplar. And one of the things I just did was take them through the all, you know, a bunch of passages in the Hebrew Scriptures, but talk about how much God loves them his people. So this yeah. idea that God loves us is not, it's not new news. Okay. Uh, you know, obviously there's the uniqueness of Christ is, is in that you know, the message is totally personified. The, the message shows up. The message is here with us. The message lives among us and dwells among us. And, you know, like the father, the, the message runs out and gets us. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's, it's so much, I mean, even just the, again, going, you know, the gospel law thing actually in, in some levels ends up equating it's like there's something that are can be equivocated against each other, and I think the gospel blows up everything. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I, I'd say that you know, Bruce McCormick, Princeton, his inaugural lecture was called "What Has Basel to Do with Berlin," and it was on the theological methods of Bard and Schleiermacher. One of the points he makes is that both of them are critical theologians in the modern sense, and he means that like that that the, the theology is not revelation itself. It's a witness to the thing in yes, itself. And you yes. can never control or box up the, no, he shows that Bart and Schleiermacher do this different ways, but they both have that kind of goal to, to, to make sure that th there's this understanding that, that, that theology is a witness to revelation, not revelation itself. And so it's always critically removed. Yeah. I love, I love, is it in, uh, uh, gosh, is it in word, word of God, word of man, where Bart describes, uh, well, the scripture is a record from the front. A, a, well, it's a record of a memory yeah. of the echo. Yeah, 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 yeah. The word, the word spoke, uh, but and they heard the echo, and the scripture is a remembrance of the, of echo, the echo. Yeah, of yeah, the yeah. Word, and I think yeah. that's, I think that's a very important corrective because, um, I, again, Mark. <laughs> what I love about Mark's gospel is that. Um, it turns out that we're, we, we said, you know, Jesus preaches the good news. We don't get much of what he says. And the punchline is he is the good news. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. The auto basilia. He's yeah. the kingdom. He's yeah. the king yeah. is the king. Yeah. King is the king. Well, there we go. And so, uh, yeah. So uh, if I was going to retitle this 
this week's sermon, I would I would steal what you said on the phone. Uh, maybe this is really the prodigal God. Yeah, the prodigal God, the prodigal father. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation, and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening, and God bless.